Good morning, church family. Y'all said that like y'all cold. Good morning. How's everybody? Good to see you this morning. Welcome to this gathering of the Anacostia River Church family. Uh, we are, like all churches, God's household, God's family, adopted children into his family, and we're gathered together to be family uh, and to worship together our Father and our elder brother, our Savior Christ, uh, and the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. I want to add my word of welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're glad that you have chosen to worship with us. We can't think of any place that we would, you would, we would rather you be. You might think of some place you'd rather be, but we can't think of any place we'd rather you be than here with us this morning, uh, worshiping the Lord our God. Uh, as we get ready to turn to God's Word, a couple of announcements and something to give out. If you're here this morning and you need a Bible, just raise your hands. We've got a couple of saints who will uh, pass a Bible to you. Keep them up high uh, so they can see you down front here, a couple folks. Keep them up till they get to you with the Bible. And uh, if you are with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, now you do. That's our gift to you. We want you to take it and write your name in it, make it your own, read it every day. Um, and uh, come back next Sunday and eat Sunday uh, and study the Bible with us so you get to know its message to you uh, and God's great love for you. Well, I, some of you may not have um, been here last week to uh, hear this introduction, but we got a special, uh, some special folks who want to introduce to you, um, I think for the first time at Anacostia River Church. Mr. and Mrs. Thomas and Joya Matthews, huh? Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Amen. Who, who were married uh, two weeks ago uh, on yesterday, November 2nd. And um, look at them, looking all brand new as husband and wife. Must be doing all right. All right. Praise be to God. And uh, you may have done this last week or so, but last week, uh, our brother and our sister Terrence uh, and Stephanie Butler celebrated their first anniversary. Is that right? On the ninth or so? Is that right? Praise be to God. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. Smiling big one year in. Yeah? They're veterans now, y'all. They're veterans. Amen. Well, we are returning to Romans chapter 8 this morning, and before we get to the sermon, we, got, we had homework, right? Y'all thought I forgot? Now, we're memorizing Romans chapter 8, right? And uh, last sermon we had on this three weeks ago now was Romans 8, 18 to 25. Uh, I wonder if we have someone this morning who would recite for us verses 18 to 25. Anybody? Uh-huh. It's like in school when you thought the teacher forgot about the test. Huh? Okay, come on, April. Y'all welcome April. Encourage April. Here we go. Amen. Amen. Praise God. 
That's all right. That's all right. Anybody else? Now, I don't want y'all to look at April like we do in school, right? Everybody else didn't study for the test, and that's that one person that's like aced the test and messed up the curve. Don't look at her like that. That's your sister in the Lord. Encourage her. Anybody else 18 to 25? Anybody 1 to 25? Romans 8, 1 to 25? All right. Come on, Baba Tune. Y'all welcome Tune. Come on, brother. The Spirit, the Spirit of God. Thank you. 
Obtain and obtain. Amen. 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 So I'm about to start a GoFundMe so we can uh, raise some funds to have Baba Tunde record the Bible for us. Uh, <laughs> I'm listening to the brother recite the scripture. I didn't know whether to rejoice or lay down and take a nap, man. I, but that's just real smooth right there, man. I'm digging that. Uh, one more thing before we turn to the, to the scripture for this morning. Thank you guys for praying for us and encouraging us on our vacation. We had a, a lovely time. You can clap for our vacation. <laughs> we had a, a very busy vacation. We uh, sat by the beach, and then we moved and sat by the pool. Then we went in a room and took a nap. It was, it was a lot of activity. Uh, <laughs> but it was a sweet time, and I, I missed you guys these last couple weeks, and I'm thrilled that the Lord's been gracious enough to bring me uh, back with my family. So thank you for that, and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you again that you have appointed this time for us to meet you in singing and prayer and the preaching of your word in the sharing of announcements and testimonies and in the fellowship of private conversation and greeting one another, we pray that you would tie every heart together in love. And we pray that you would lift every heart and every mind to you now, to adore you, to wonder at you, to marvel at you, to praise you, and to receive yet more of your presence in our, in our lives through your spirit. We pray that you would make the word alive to us this morning. We would hear it with faith. and We would be stirred up to love and good deeds, and we would be strengthened to continue the race. Lord, press out distraction. Press out discomfort. Fix us on your word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we come back to our series that we've titled Spirit-Filled Living. Uh, in this series, I've been attempting to show uh, from God's Word just how necessary God the Holy Spirit is to the Christian life. And not only how necessary, we have been attempting from God's Word to show just how deep the Spirit's work is 
in our lives. It's deeper than we normally think and more necessary than we often think. And as we've looked at Romans chapter 8, we have so far focused on five necessary and, and deep ministries of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. We looked at verses 1 to 4, and we saw that the Holy Spirit frees us from condemnation, frees us from the, the yoke and the burden of guilt because of sin through the gospel. Number two, the Holy Spirit then lives in us, and we live in him. So God is not some distant God, unconnected to us, unfamiliar with us. He's so intimate with us that he lives in us, and we live in him. And number three, we, we see that the Holy Spirit gives us life. The body's dead because of sin, but, but because of the Spirit and righteousness, we are alive in Christ, and even this dead mortal body will be quickened and made alive on the final day. This is the Spirit's work in our life. Number four, we were looking there in verses 12 to 17, and we saw that the, the Holy Spirit adopts us into God's family, comes into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And, and not only that, he assures us of, of God's love and our place in the family. And so we would not be God's children were it not for the Spirit of God adopting us into the family of God. And then we saw in our last sermon that the Holy Spirit brings us, as some of your Bible headers might put it, from groaning to glory. The whole creation is groaning as a woman in childbirth because of the sin that has wrecked the world. And not only is the creation groaning, but, but the church is groaning too. Christians are, are groaning too. We are all longing for that final redemption, the, uh, the final adoption of the children of God when all things will be made new and, and we will see a glory that's never been seen before. And it's the Spirit who carries us from groaning to glory. In other words, beloved, we would be guilty lonely, dead, orphaned, doubting, groaning people if it were not for the presence, the power, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. His presence and ministry are, are necessary for making us free, for, for making us spiritual, for, for making us alive, and, and for making us family, and for making us secure in the future that God has prepared for us. Now, for the last two weeks, we have taken a break from this series, and however, in God's providence, I think the last two sermons are particularly pertinent for where we are in Romans chapter 8. So, two Sundays ago, Pastor George preached to us about God's steadfast love, walked us through the Davidic covenant and the Davidic promises and the, the demonstration of God's covenant-keeping love. It's important for us to remember that God loves us on the heels of a sermon that was talking about the whole creation and the whole church groaning in travail. Last week, we heard a wonderful sermon from our brother Asa, who talked with us about becoming a trauma-informed congregation. One of the realities of a groaning creation and a groaning church is that many of us will, will suffer and endure and have to live with trauma of various sorts. We didn't plan it this way, but I think today's topic, on the heels of those two, 
It's a helpful response to what we've been learning about both God's love and about trauma. Uh, Today's sermon seems to me like a good sermon to, to sort of focus on because the main point is right there in the title of the sermon. The main point of this text, Romans 8, 26 to 30, is that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is one of his ministries. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we're going to think about Romans 8, 26 to 30, and I want to hang our thoughts on three points. Number one is that we are weak people. You see that in verse 26. Uh, only a couple of people, amen. I guess the rest of y'all are too weak to amen. <laughs> but it's true. We are weak people. Number two, and this is where we get to the Spirit's help, the Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us, verses 26 and 27. And then number three, the Holy Spirit saves us, verses 28 to 30. The Holy Spirit saves us. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30. Look there with me as I read. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Notice where the text begins, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's where we get our first point. The text there assumes that it is natural in the Christian life to experience weakness. Now, the word is weakness, not wickedness. Paul's not talking about sin here. Paul is addressing the human frailty that we we all have. This is important because whenever we're living as brothers and sisters together and attempting to care for each other, it's important that we distinguish wickedness from weakness. They require different responses. Wickedness requires correction. Weakness requires help. We sometimes lack strength. We are sometimes weak. And half the time that we are weak, we are thinking that we are strong. We're just faking it, don't we? Like that little boy on the playground gets in a, gets in a scuffle with the bigger kid. And the little boy tries to swell up, get on his toes, talking about, I ain't scared, I ain't scared. Like, man, you've been scared since you first opened your mouth, Right? Like those little lizards that get up on two legs and fan out their gills trying to look bigger to their predators. If we're not careful, we'll go through our adult lives like that little lizard, like that little boy, scared to death, feeling our weakness and responding to weakness with pretension. Responding to weakness not with a a humble request for help, but responding to weakness by, as Asa put it last week, trying to white-knuckle our way through it trying to grit and grin 
But beloved, the reality is sometimes we find ourselves in overwhelming situations. We sometimes find ourselves dealing with troubles and trials and traumas, and and those things are a natural part of a fallen world. That's why the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. When life gets hard, don't trip. Weakness, suffering, groaning, problems, trauma are not strange in the Christian life. But let me be clear. Christians are not helpless in weakness. Whatever robs us of strength does not rob us also of help. And Christians are not alone in our weakness. The things that aggravate us do not isolate us. Here's why. God, the Holy Spirit, is working in our weakness. He is helping us in our weakness. That's his ministry to us, and we profoundly need it. The Lord Jesus in John 14, 26 and John 15, 26 and a couple of other places, in fact, gives the Holy Spirit this title. He says, when the helper comes. This is his ministry. He is our helper. He is our comforter. He is the one who comes to us and aids us in our weakness. How many have some weaknesses? Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11 says that we live in the Spirit, and the Spirit lives in us. So get this, beloved. We are never without help. The help is always in us. The help is always with us. We are always living in the helper, in the, in the spirit. So we are never alone, and we are never without resource. We are never without strength. We are never without aid, even in the midst of our weakness. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 to 6, will always be true in the Christian life. The writer says there that he, referring to God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6 is the consequence, the application. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Read this with me. Verse 5, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now, we need to do that again because y'all didn't sound all that confident. God speaks to us directly in his word and says, now here's something you should be saying with full confidence, with full assurance, with a full certainty of knowledge that it's true and that it's at work in your life, that whenever you are struggling and whenever you're tempted to think that you're alone and that you're weak and that you're without help, here's what's really true. In verse 6, now read it with me, say it with me with confidence so we can confidently say what? The Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? That's good news. That's good news for weak people and weary people. We need help. Now the only people who cannot admit they need help are proud people. And truthfully, the greatest weakness of all is an inability and unwillingness to admit your weakness. God knows you're weak. 
The people who love you know you're weak. You're the only one tripping. Pretending like you don't have weakness, that is a delusional denial. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian. Admitting your weakness and need for help is especially critical, not in career things or relationship things or physical things. It is especially critical that you admit your weakness in spiritual things. When it comes to your sin, when it comes to getting into heaven and into the presence of God, you may be here this morning and you are saying to yourself as you hear me talk about sin, I'm a basically good person. And, and, and what people normally mean by that is that their goodness is a certain kind of strength that will prevail in the presence of God, will get them into heaven. Listen, beloved, nobody has goodness that strong. The Bible says even our righteousness is as filthy rags. Uh, we are a people who, yes, do some good things, but we are not a people who can trust our goodness. We have to repent even of our goodness for thinking that our goodness makes us the kind of people who do not need God. That's idolatry, beloved. That's pride. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but guess what? He gives grace to the humble. Those who are lowly enough to admit their need before God and to admit that their greatest need is God, that their greatest weakness is their own heart, their own sin, their own imperfection. Those who will admit that and come to God for help, the promise in the Bible is God will not turn you away. He will not crush you because of your weakness, that God in his humility and meekness and kindness will come to you and rescue you, who will snatch you away from from the coming judgment against sin and make you his own people and even live in you by his spirit so that in your continuing dealing with weakness, he's right there to help you. This is the gospel, beloved. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, don't, don't get mad because I called you a sinner. We're all sinners. And don't get defensive because I said your goodness isn't good enough. That's true of all of us. Instead, accept the truth. Turn to Christ. Put your trust in the one who died for your sins and was raised for your salvation and gives his spirit to everyone who trusts in him. And Christian, this is this is true of us too. We don't want to hide the fact that we are weak. We want to admit the fact that we are weak and need help. The wonderful news for the Christian is that if we do admit the weakness, then we can address it. Or more specifically, when we admit our weakness, the Holy Spirit addresses it. Because we have weaknesses we can't even fix. We can't even describe. We can't even talk about in public. We have weaknesses that, that utterly confuse us, that baffle us, that leave us wondering and questioning and doubting. Praise be to God that help doesn't have to come from us. It comes from God's Spirit. And all we need to do is boast in our weakness, as the Apostle Paul did, so that God's power would abide on us. We are weak people, but we are not helpless people. 
And the question becomes, how then does the Holy Spirit help us? And I want us to see two things in Romans chapter 8, two ways the, the Holy Spirit helps us. Number one, the Holy Spirit helps us by praying for us by praying for us. See there in verses 26 and 27, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I don't know why y'all aren't more excited about that. Some of y'all are more eager for the pastor to pray for you than the Holy Spirit. Y'all tripping. <laughs> can, can there be a better person to pray for us than God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the helper, the comforter? Notice why you and I ought to get excited about the Spirit of God praying for us this morning. It's in the second sentence in verse 26. For you, we do not know how to pray as we ought. That's one of our weaknesses. We don't know how to pray. Now, as your pastor, I will pray for you. Other brothers and sisters will pray for you. You can pray for yourself, but do you know what our prayers have in common? We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> we don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray as we ought. Now, when he says that, he doesn't mean we don't have the right technique in prayer. He means we don't have the right content in prayer. All of us know how to get on our knees, bow our heads, make that little hand thing right there. We even have an emoji for it. You know, all of us know how to do some things outwardly in a technique of prayer. The problem is we don't know what God wants. We don't know the content of our, what the content of our prayers ought to be. But the Holy Spirit does. Two times the Bible uses the verb intercedes in reference to the Holy Spirit and his prayer life. Intercedes means the Holy Spirit steps in between. He steps in between us in our weakness and God in his will. He stands in the gap that we cannot fill with our prayers. He, he gets involved. Now, I love this, beloved. I love this. I love what the Bible teaches about God's own prayer life. It tells us in a place like 1 John chapter 2 that Jesus is interceding for us in heaven. And it tells us at the same time in Romans 8, 26, that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us in our hearts. God is praying for us, beloved, on high and down low. God is interceding for the saints and, and working in prayer on our behalf. Now, this intercession in Romans 8, 26, 27 has two characteristics about it. First of all, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 22, the creation groans. Verse 23, the church, the Christian groans. Now we come to verse 26, and the Holy Spirit groans together with the creation and the church. My mom is from that generation, Christian generation, with a little bit of folk religion dabbled in it. When things got really bad in our family, my mom, who never has a lot of words anyway, she'd get real quiet. And if they get really bad, she hums and moans. 
And I remember as a little boy asking her why she, why she hums and moans. He says, because, baby, when you, when you hum or when you moan, the, the devil don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's a little folk religion. But it's real close to biblical religion. Because here now, the Holy Spirit is groaning in prayer. Notice the text says, with, with, in a way that's too deep for words. Now, this is not a reference to tongues. We know that for three reasons. Number one, these are the Spirit's groanings, not the Christian's. Number two, tongues can be translated into words with the gift of interpretation, but this intercession cannot. Number three, verse 26, applies to all Christians, not just those with the gift of tongues. So the Spirit is at work in every Christian groaning in these ways. These groanings then refer to a level of thought, perhaps a level of feeling that is beyond human ability to comprehend. The great Scottish reformer John Knox put it this way, our needs go far beyond the power of our speech to express them. Beloved, we need some things prayed for us that we don't even have language for. Spirit groans and intercedes for us in our weakness. Notice the second thing. The Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. Now, this is the answer to our weakness in not knowing how to pray. We don't know what to ask for in prayer. We have needs that we can't even put into words. And if left to ourselves, our prayers really would never reach the ceiling. We'll never get to God to address the things that we most desperately need addressed. But when God the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, God the Father reads his mind. Notice what the text says in verse 27. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Holy Spirit. Only God can search the heart. And here the Father searches the the mind of of the Spirit. And at the same time, notice, the Spirit only asks for what is according to God's will. The Father and the Son stand in perfect agreement about what we need and what to do about it. You realize what this means? There is zero chance that the Spirit and the Father will ever miscommunicate about what we need in our weakness. There's zero chance that, that the Father is going to look at the Spirit like, oh, I thought you was going left, and the Spirit like, I thought you was going right. There's zero chance that there's going to be anything lost in translation for inside the triune nature of God. There is perfect unity in the will and the workings of God. There is perfect unity in the plan of God for our lives. Now, beloved, this is liberating. It means you don't have to know how to work things out. You don't have to know how to get from A to Z. You don't have to know how to unravel everything that is tied up and twisted. All you have to do is trust the God who does know, who knows perfectly and communicates perfectly inside the Godhead. He groans for us. He intercedes according to God's will. Now, what do we do with this truth? Notice now, verses 26 and 27 are all statements of fact. There's not a single command in those verses. In other words, the Bible's not calling us to do something. The Bible is calling us to believe something. 
Believe you and I need help. Believe the Spirit is praying for you and me. Believe that the Father knows all about our troubles. Believe that the triune God knows how to help us. We are to believe at these things, even marvel at these things, and take them to heart and be encouraged. Let me connect this to this point about belief to trauma for a second. Secular researchers have often found in their research that people of faith tend to have more resilience in weakness than people without faith. But many of the researchers tend to write about faith like it's a mysterious puzzle. You know, they don't, they don't quite know what to do with it since it's not sort of part of the physical universe where you can test and retest and measure uh, physically and so-called objectively. But it's really no puzzle at all. If you know God, and you know God lives in you, and you know God is praying for you, and you know God is going to help you, then there's, there's, no, there's no drama, there's no mystery about resilience. There's no mystery about why you keep going, why we keep going, why we press through the difficulty, why we trust during trauma, why we keep trying when we have troubles, why we keep pressing when we face persecution. There's no, there's no mystery to that at all. God is at work in us. God is, as the text says, for us. God is groaning and working and giving us life even though we are perishing on the outside, yet on the inside we are being renewed day by day. This is why two things are critical for people who are dealing with trauma. Number one, it's critical that we as a church family, as we heard last week, that we embrace becoming, learning to become a trauma-informed congregation where people dealing with various kinds of trauma feel welcomed and loved and safe and cared for. And this is why, number two, those who are dealing with trauma now really must resist the temptation to pull away from the church community and to isolate yourself in the trauma. You, you don't feel safe with other people. You, as I used to put it last week, you may not even feel safe in your own body. And yet, the grace of God comes to us most regularly through the people of God. And so to press into community, because that's where you'll find grace for resilience and endurance. To deal with any kind of trauma and any kind of weakness. So beloved, hold to this truth. The Holy Spirit helps you and me in our weakness by praying for us. Which brings us to the third point. The Holy Spirit helps us by saving us. By saving us. See, some of y'all still may not be excited about the Holy Spirit praying for us. And, and one of the reasons is you, you might think the Spirit's prayer life is like your prayer life. You, 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 you might have slipped into thinking that the Spirit's prayers are as ineffective as your prayers. Because you, you're looking around and you're saying, well, ain't nothing changed. I'm still hurting. I'm still feeling this weakness. But notice, beloved, in verses 26 and 27 and down to verse 30, nowhere does the Bible say the Spirit takes the weakness away. No, it helps us in our weakness. So the fact that your 
circumstance hasn't changed doesn't mean that the Spirit's not at work. And, and, and you may take a sort of low-key approach to, to struggling to believe the Spirit's help in prayer will, will actually make a difference. And that's why Romans 8, 28 to 30 are so important. Look there with me. The Bible says, and we know, somebody say, and we know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I need to slow down right here. There's so much good stuff in there. I want to preach. Romans 8, 28 and 30 is teaching us that our salvation is the result of the Spirit's intercession in prayer. Now, keep it in context because many of us have memorized Romans 8, 28 by itself, and, and we've plucked it out of the context. And, 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 and if we're not careful, we can, we can make some mistakes with it. You realize you can read Romans 8, 28 in a fleshly way? We know all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So I'm looking for my breakthrough. I'm, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. This thing is going to change or this thing is going to work out to my benefit. It's important, beloved, that we read this with a spiritual mind. As Paul has been teaching us all the way back in the early parts of Romans chapter 8. And with a spiritual mind, we come to recognize something. We come to recognize that there are a couple things the text does not say. Romans 8.28 does not mean every individual thing that happens in our life is good. Well, that everything in our lives will have a good outcome. Or that we will understand everything that happens in our lives. Beloved, life is full of things that just end bad. Life is full of unexplainable absurdities. There are a lot of individual things that are bad, wrong, sinful, painful, excruciating, and so on. This verse is not denying that. We are not Hindus or Buddhists sort of abstracting ourselves from suffering. No. Even for the Christian, there's a lot that doesn't work out. Romans 8.28 also does not apply to all people. It applies to those, notice, who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Those two phrases really are pointing out the same people, that is, Christians. Christians love God because he first loved us and gave his son for us. And, and Christians, through the gospel, have been called to God's purpose, that is, salvation. So the truth of verse 28 applies to the church, not the world, which is another good reason to become a Christian. Now, notice what the text does say. It says, verse 28 does say, the, the Christian who, we love a God who is taking everything that happens in a Christian's life and using the entire mix of things for the Christian's good. It's the mix of things, not every individual thing. And it's God who is working to mix them that in some way will produce good for the Christian. My wife is trying to kill me on this keto diet. I'm trying to work with her, but I miss sugar. I miss starch, grains, pasta, all the good stuff. 
And stuff is getting weird around the house. I come in the house sometimes, come in the kitchen. Y'all know we got that counter in there. And all kind of stuff be on the counter. She call them ingredients, but don't look like nothing that make nothing I eat. <laughs> I mean, you got all kinds of gnawed up roots and herbs and bats boiling in a cauldron. I don't all kind of strange stuff happening in our house, man. Y'all pray for your pastor. I, I know the spirit praying for me. Y'all pray too. I ain't really interested in those individual ingredients. But together, a kind of transformation be happening in the kitchen, beloved. I'm trying to tell you, I go down in the basement, mind my own business, because I don't want to see what she's mixing together. But then she'll call me an hour later. She'll say, dinner ready. And I, I come upstairs, and, and, and what I got on my plate don't look nothing like those nasty ingredients she had in it. Nasty is my word, you know. She made something the other night, y'all. A chicken casserole with some pork rinds, grind up on the, I, all kind of stuff. It, it was so good. I took like two bites. It was so good, the whole house, we renamed the dish. We called it Keto Crack Chicken. The transformation was marvelous. <laughs> and so it is with God. The Father takes the mix of our lives and turns it into good for us. Whatever we face in life, we can and must remember God is for us. He works for our overall good. And this needs to be something, notice, that we are certain about. Notice how verse 828 puts it. It puts it in the emphatic position, we know. Amen. We know that. Now, there are some things we don't know, like how to pray. But we do know this, that God is at work producing for us good as a consequence or through whatever is happening in our lives. Do you know that? Do you know that? This makes all the difference in our perspective. Whatever's happening in life, if we can meet everything with this confident declaration, I know God is at work for my good. Now, you may still be objecting, saying to yourself, Pastor, I ain't seeing it. Doesn't seem like everything's working for good in my life. I don't even know how it could work for my good. Look at this, that, and the other. Well, that's why verses 29 and 30 are so important. You see, 29 begins with the word for. He's explaining why we know in verse 28. And this is what he writes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Not only does the Holy Spirit help us by praying for us, the Holy Spirit helps us by saving us. And the reason we have confidence is not found in our circumstance. The reason is not found in time and space. The reason is not ultimately temporal. The reason we have such confidence that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord is because now we know that we are eternally saved. The folks with fancy theological degrees look at these two verses and call them the ordo salutis, Latin meaning the order of salvation. But everyday regular busters like us, they, they sometimes call this the golden chain of salvation. 
There are five verbs in these two verses, and they are linked together like a chain that, that cannot be broken, and they are explaining from God's perspective how it is we are saved and why it is we can be certain that everything works together for our good. Notice it goes from foreknown to predestined to called to justify to glorify. Last week, Asa helped us with a wonderful question when dealing with trauma. He told us to not ask the question, what's wrong with you? But instead to ask the question, what happened to you? Now, if you're listening to that sermon, you realize that there are two answers to that question. There's the question that has to do with the trauma itself. This is what happened to me. But if we're thinking about trauma like Christians, there's a whole other level of answer to that question. Verses 29 and 30 are telling us what happened to us when God saved us. Notice now, what happened to you? Well, you were foreknown, which means God knew you beforehand. But it's not merely an intellectual knowledge. It is also a word that's used of God's prior love for his people. What happened to you? God loved you before the worlds began. And then it moves from foreknowledge to predestined, which means to destine or decide beforehand. God has predestined something for you. He has predestined that you would be conformed to the image of his son. Before the world began, before the earth was created, before man stood up in the garden, God decided in his own mind that you were going to be one of his children, you were going to be a little brother to Christ, and you were going to grow up to be just like your big brother. You were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, and you were predestined to be part of the many brothers and sisters that Christ would have. But God didn't stop there. Something else happened to you. And now we come down to our experience of our salvation. God called you. In the preaching of the gospel, the gospel came into the world, this good news that God has sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins, had crucified him on the cross and raised him from the grave three days later, and that God was calling every creature now to repent of sin and believe in Jesus. You heard that effective call of God, and even though you weren't looking for Jesus, you believed in Jesus. Even though you weren't looking to serve God, you repented and turned to God. God called you before the worlds began. And not only that, what happened to you? You were not only called, but you were justified. You were given the gifts of repentance and faith, and now being joined together with Christ, God says, I declare you righteous. You are justified. You are just as if you were my son, perfect and without blemish. And so in the councils of heaven, it's been decided that you were justified. That's what's happened to you, and God didn't stop there. Now he looks forward to the future. What happened to you? You were glorified together with Christ. Christ. On the day that Jesus comes again and splits the sky, you're going to see Jesus if you have been called and justified. And seeing him, you will be like him. You'll be glorified together with him. You'll be transformed into his image, transformed into his likeness. All the blemishes gone, all that's left is beauty. All of these things foreknown you were, predestined you were. What happened to you? You were called, you were justified, and you were glorified. That's what happened to you beloved. More has happened to you than your trauma. 
More has happened to you than your weakness. This is why we know, this is why we're confident that it works together for us because God, even before the globe started spinning, has spoken in some past tense verbs. You see that? Every one of those verbs is past tense. You know what that means? That means your salvation is a wrap. That means your salvation is done. That means what Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. That's what happened to you if you're a Christian. That's what happened to you if you're a Christian. It is finished. What does this mean? How does this help us in our weakness? I'll tell you. It means that no matter what happens in your Christian life, we can say, I'm saved. You get the cancer diagnosis. I'm saved. You get the divorce papers. I'm saved. You hear the news that a loved one has died. It might rock you, but you get to answer that news with, I am saved. You start to have struggles mentally and spiritually. I'm saved. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. You're making parenting mistakes. And you get to declare, nevertheless, I am saved. Your, your children start to go left and to go right. Uh, I am saved. Disability grips your body. And, and you get to say, I am saved. Even if we struggle again with sin itself, the Holy Spirit reminds us that I am saved. That's our final answer to our weakness. It's like we're on that show. It's still, come on, I don't know. Who wants to be a millionaire? We're sitting up there and a question comes and it exposes our weakness. We don't know. And we look across the little thing to Regis. I'm dating myself. I don't know who hosts it now, but we look across there to Regis. Regis kind of looking at us, giving us time, and we're thinking, and we say, I need to use a lifeline. And we use that 50-50. Take off two wrong answers, and now we're left with two answers we still don't know. I said, Regis, I want to call a friend. And you call your friend, is that friend? He was like, man, I don't know. That's a good question, Doc. Hold on, hold on. The friend don't know. We stuck. And we give our answer. And then Regis look at us. He paused for a moment for dramatic effect. And he looked at us, and he said, hey, that's your final answer. We're looking at everything that happens in our lives, every weakness, every pain, every struggle, every I don't know moment. And we look back at Regis and we say, I am saved. That's my final answer. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm going to glory. I'm going to heaven. No one can snatch me out of the Father's hands. I, I'm not going back. I'm not looking back. Here's what I know. It's a whole lot of stuff I don't know. We like that man who says, listen, I don't know. I was once blind, but now I see. And we that same man who says, I was once a sinner, but now I'm a saint. I was once dead, but now I'm alive. I was once an orphan in the world, but I've been adopted into God's family. And we say to the world, we say to ourselves, we say to the church, this is my final answer. I am saved. To be able to answer all of your life's issues with that three-word sentence is the most marvelous power you could have 
in the face of weakness. It's a fact. We are weak and need help. But there's a better fact. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and takes us from groaning to glory. Let him pray for us and remind us of what has happened to us through the gospel of our Lord such that we, weak as we are, are destined for glory. Indeed, we've already been glorified. Let's pray together. Father, we humbly confess our weakness. You knew it about us from the moment you formed us. For we are but dust. You scooped us from the ground, from the clay. You breathed life into us. This this tent that we're in, this body that we're in, is full of infirmity. Physical infirmity. Social infirmity. Spiritual infirmity. But you have not abandoned us to our weakness. You have sent your spirit into our lives to live in us and to be to us the helper. And so it's the spirit's name that we praise. And it's the spirit that we look to now that we might live not in our own strength but in your power that we might not be white-knuckling it through life, but we might be believing on you, trusting in you, waiting on you to do the things we cannot do and to bring us safely home, to be with you in glory. This morning we pray, give someone saving faith. Allow them right now to confess their weakness and sin and their inability to be good enough to save themselves. And give them the grace to realize that Jesus is the only Savior the world will ever have. And give them grace to trust in Jesus, to repent of Jesus, and to experience in time what you declared in eternity the effective call of your gospel and the justification that comes by faith and the hope of glory. Save someone this morning. And Father, we plead with you to strengthen your church. Oh Lord, strengthen us by your spirit. Not by our strength, not by our might, but by your spirit. Not by horses and chariots, not by any carnal weapon, but by your Spirit. Strengthen us, O Lord, we pray. And help us in our weakness, we pray. For your glory and for the joy of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.